Hello, I want to welcome everyone and tell you you're in the right place for the Safety and Health webcast sponsored by Intellects. I'm going to give everyone about a minute to file in and we'll get going in just a short time. Hello to everyone. Once again, want to welcome you to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Intellects. Let you know that you're in the right place. Going to get going in about another 30 seconds from now as we let everyone file in. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, Setting Up for Success, the playbook for choosing and implementing the right EHS projects, sponsored by Intellects. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine and we'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well. In a few minutes, we'll start a presentation, but first let's review some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and may not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not necessarily mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the Send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast will be archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Deborah Keeler and Scott Gaddis of Intellects. Deborah is a certified project management professional and senior director of solution and industry marketing. She has a passion for helping organizations achieve more and be more with technology that makes sense. Scott is vice president, global practice leader, safety and health in Intellects. He's, he leads integration of the EHSQ Alliance in thought leadership and, and building partnerships with key clients and other top influencers in EHS. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation. Deborah, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Kevin. And I'd like to, uh, on behalf of Scott and I, welcome everybody to our session today. I'm just going to quickly wear my marketing hat and let you know a little bit more about Intellects. Uh, we are celebrating our 30th birthday this year. We were founded in 1992, so uh, the years add up. Uh, and luckily, we've had a lot of clients grow with us. We're currently at roughly just over 1,400. And even more impressive, we've got over 5 million users. That was a, a nice milestone that we passed a few months earlier this year. And we continue to grow. Right now, we're sitting at 500 plus employees. But uh, what that means for you is that we really do offer a stable, secure solution that you can really use for your EHSQ needs. Uh, we're also part of Fortive, I like to call out, in addition to having uh, an ecosystem with some nice uh, brand name partnerships like with Microsoft and Workday. Uh, and throughout those 30 years, we've been helping customers along the way, but we've also gathered some awards as well. So we're really proud of our track record to help our customers and, and that we're getting recognized for those efforts. But with that said, let's go into the meat of our presentation today. We, as you know, we're covering off uh, how to choose and implement the right EHS projects. So that's obviously going to be the bulk of our session today. But before we actually start that, that type of content, the first step is always getting the right mindset. And with that, I'm actually gonna turn the floor over to my colleague, Scott. Thank you, Deborah. And it's wonderful to be here with all of you that are participating. That looks like a, a large audience. And I, I often start with slides like this. Uh, and uh, I would say that at times, I, I think it's a no brainer, right? To even think this way, but I, I often do, is to put this, uh, this peg right in a uh, in a round hole and say begin with the end in mind and 
uh, there's always a rule for for project implementation and planning it it's it really starts with gap assess for your improvement that you desire and base that on on data um, conduct an, an honest audit of your safety management system and measure what is really going well and, and what's not ask for input from employees regardless to their position in the organization and when i say that it seems quite simple because we actually are practitioners that use auditing tools uh, quite frequently but when we uh, go to the c-suite or to senior leadership with projects many times we'll leave this information behind and uh, so if you're not sure of your incident figures or how compliant you are, what your audit performance has been, what all these measurables that matter, uh, your first step is, I think, to take a uh, is to conduct a gap analysis. In general, it should uh, really identify what your future state, uh, what what that desire is. Uh, this is a detailed description of what your company will look like once you've achieved your, your safety project and those goals, assessing your current situation with every main goal that you can determine, consider why you're in this current situation and how that differs from, from the, uh, the desired outcome. And then finally, you know, these projects that you're thinking about or these processes that you're, you're thinking that you need to employ, describe how you're going to bridge those gaps. Uh, brainstorming strategies to do that, I think, is really evident in this type of, of work. Um, the second point that I would make is to look at your behaviors versus what your underlying uh, causes are. A common pitfall of safety management and project planning is how we view behavior of the organization as the problem versus a symptom of an underlying issue. And when I say that, when we look at, at workers uh, that are working safe versus unsafe, um, that creates a paradigm, right, or a prejudice in how we handle projects. So I think you need to really look at all things equal and probably look at the reasons why people are, are, are having these type of events or why you're, you're uh, pursuing a project to mitigate or to eliminate some type of challenge in the organization. I think a third thing that I would say is forced implementation. Similarly, think about these safety projects or these EHS projects uh, as they've been implemented. Uh, if you've mandated change without gathering feedback from stakeholders, don't be surprised when workers keep doing the same things they've always done because they've been discluded. They've not been uh, brought into the, the project assignments. And then I think a successful EHS process it, it may be motivated from the top down, but it's carried from the ground up. So I, I would, uh, you know, put that out there for you to chew on. And then keeping track, uh, you know, maybe a fourth ideal for me is electronic management, keeping track of all of your pain points and these opportunities for improvement. They're, they're a logistical nightmare. I know they were for me and I, I've spent over 30 years in EHS practice and I did start all the way back on paper. So I had information laying everywhere. So if you're going to pursue projects, they absolutely have to have the data. Electronic technology is certainly a way to bring that all together. And one of the hallmark qualities of, of safe organizations is factually organization, right? And the best way to do that, we believe, is, is through technology to collect that information and then being able to see trends and information and totality and, and not siloed. So I would offer that on this slide, Deborah, and I'll let you uh, take it from here. Sure. So after you've done your, uh, your, your gap analysis, you are going to have uh, hopefully not too lengthy a list of potential projects. What I'm just going to talk about more is, again, that next level of, okay, how do I choose between them? And Scott kind of nailed it earlier on. One of the best ways to start choosing your project is to involve those stakeholders because you're going to need their involvement. Um, when you are starting to evaluate all the merits of all your projects, one reason why you do want to get in stakeholders involved, and trust me, with the 20 years I've been doing for managing projects, it's not usually anything uh, the project team itself that does to help that lends to the failure. It's the fact that you haven't maybe involved all the external people who may be impacting it. So any stakeholder that maybe has some type of an impact or can basically throw a roadblock up, it's always good to involve them in this. Uh, 
Other key thing is it's more information is it's always a good thing. So not only getting the stakeholders involved will help you with the approval and the ongoing project support, but they'll also help you uncover those pitfalls and opportunities. I know a lot of times uh, when it comes to those different projects, by the time you kind of maybe do a wider um, gathering of information or inputs into your evaluation process, you're going to find out that potentially there's sequencing or dependencies there that you may not have been aware of uh, that you really can stop your project from going forward. So in order to have a successful project, it's got to get to the end. So if you can identify all of those other pitfalls, opportunities from expanding your network of stakeholders who contribute to choosing the project, that's a good thing. And again, build engagement. I love what Scott said earlier. It's like, it really will be from the ground up to really make your project a success. But that's just kind of my overarching best practice when you want to start choosing your projects. Some actual tips though, is again, take the subjectivity out of the process. I know for a fact, everybody's got pet projects or you get a lot of people are like, you know, if we only did this one project and, and unfortunately that means sometimes uh, your stakeholders and yourself and your project team may start getting the blinders on. So you have to try wherever possible to take that subjectivity out of the process. And there are tools available and I'll talk to that in the next slide. The other key thing here, especially since it's a business uh, environment that we do operate in, you have to evaluate all the projects and costs and impacts. Uh, again, I, I'm sure you're, I'm speaking to the choir here. We all know this. But the biggest part is maybe that third bullet. Once you get those costs or impacts, it's so important, especially if you're doing the ROI, is to translate that business performance in, into or the ROI into business performance terms. For example, it's not necessarily just about, okay, less uh, penalties or reduction in um, a certain safety metric that you're looking for. It's the fact that you're gonna have maybe one more worker to contribute to the business goals. And when you put it into those positive terms or business impact, you'll have more success and maybe talking the language of the C-suite. Uh, it's also very important to consider the strategic implications. I've had numerous projects where, quite frankly, the ROIs weren't there, but they were necessary for future ROIs or just putting in an enablement platform to get the business to the next level. So those do need to be factored into your analysis at some point of which projects you take. Often, I will let you know, this usually is about timing of projects more than whether or not it's a yay or nay. Because let's face it, a lot of the projects you are having, you do need to get done. Uh, this is your workforce safety at risk or at play. You, you're going to have to do them. It's just maybe a matter of timing of one over the other. And that's where the strategic implications come into play. And then, of course, you always have to use all this information to prepare your recommendation for senior leadership. Uh, they're going to be your best supporters and the ones funding it. So you really have to have all of these things kind of laid out uh, in terms of why one project over the other. Uh, when I've done these presentations before, you have to be at the ready to say this is almost like an elevator pitch of why you're saying one project over the other. If you have that, you'll be much better uh, prepared. Uh, but let's look at some of the tools that you can use. Uh, I know ROI calculators, there's tons out there. I believe um, OSHA's even got one. I think we have one on our site. Uh, you they're great for putting together. If you need to put that business case together, that's fantastic. There's, they're out there, the formulas out there as well. But again, my key point here is stress about what it means to the business. If you can do that, then you're talking the, the terms of leadership. The other key thing that I use all the time is the prioritization matrices. And this is how it gets to be objective and not subjective. The key thing when I've done this with my stakeholders is I take all our projects, I make sure before we even decide, we decide the weighting of what goals they're gonna be. And that way, when you get, get them to do the ranking, they can't sway it to their pet projects or not, because that will happen. Human beings will naturally uh, have favorites. Uh, that's just the way it is. But if you can get them to agree ahead of time about what is the priorities of the business and what weighting you should do, it makes your clear-cut recommendation a lot simpler to sell to upper, upper management. Okay. But those are just some tools. I think I'm going to turn the floor back over to Scott, and he's going to talk more about taking your projects to senior leadership. 
Yeah, that, that's certainly a big subject. And uh, I, I, maybe some of you know on, on the call, but I, I was a global leader for, uh, for Kimberly Clark for a long time. So I, I've had to take projects um, to senior leaders quite often. And I think the, the thing that I learned, you know, I, I left Kimberly Clark and I did the same thing for Bristol Myers Squibb uh, over in Pharma. And then I actually took a spinoff from International Paper. So I've been in senior leadership for, for a long, long time, but I, I would say maybe to, to preface this is that it didn't change the way that I went into a room of senior leaders to discuss uh, projects and integration and some of those things that I really cared about. Uh, however, it, it certainly became more difficult as I, uh, as I grew in the company. So uh, the first thing I would say is that, uh, you know, stress to the business what is this value of the project to the organization? And I think that that matters uh, really to, to a plant level senior leadership team, to a business level senior leadership team, or to the C-suite. So what should be this role of senior management when it comes to projects? And there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. You know, a lot of drivers can, can be in play here, including, you know, the size of the organization, the culture, the structure, what industry that you're in, as Deborah mentioned, what is the market, right? What's the marketplace? What are those conditions? As well as the pure size of what you're asking a senior leadership team to, uh, you know, to approve type, uh, complexity, all of those things do matter. I think it starts really before you go into the room, you know, safety first, this idea of value should be a chief element on every project, and regardless if it's a safety or an environmental project or a quality project or an asset effectiveness project. Uh, projects and integration management, regardless of title, should always start with this idea of safety as a value. And what that means for us as practitioners is that while it is possible to win in a code room, uh, of senior leaders uh, to be successful. It's just really not what we want to do. We want to build value for safety and health. And that starts before you need approval. You know, you really should ask yourself, am I always communicating the strategy and the visions that, uh, that I have for success in the organization? Do I have the right level of participation from senior leaders? And if not, you know, how do I do that? Are they communicating to the organization? Do they, do they attend training that I have? Uh, so what I'm saying is, is have you required this participation and partnership from senior leaders before you actually need them for approval? Uh, do they have a good uh, understanding of things like loss run reports or medical uh, reports that indicate how much uh, how much money right that we're losing because of injuries compliance issues targeted inspection all of those things do matter but i say that they do matter before you actually need to go uh, to them, you know, for, for approval. So some of these are, are, are my ideas, I guess, are what I have absolutely uh, kind of bumped up against as I went to senior leaders. But I, I think selecting projects that have really tangible value and meet business objectives. Uh, if you look at, uh, if you were to lay over the management system of the entire business and see the strategies and some of the plans that they have for that business, do my projects uh, affect those those plans? Do they uh, are they counterintuitive of what we're trying to uh, to do with the organization from a business side of things? And then you know can they help the business overall meet their their other objectives? So you know what return timeline are you looking for, and does it really help us uh, in in the overall business? And I would say that you know understanding things that like loss runs, how much uh, how much have we lost due to injuries? Those are really important things to uh, that that matter, but you have to be able to communicate them very effectively. Uh, decide on the level of involvement that you need based on project scope. Are you going to need internal FTEs? Are you going to need external FTEs? What are some of the cost projections around those things? And uh, and can you um, you know can you guarantee or put some guarantees of uh, of those things occurring? I think conveying a strategic vision and how the project fits into that vision, uh, being clear on what your objectives are and why you think that these are objectives are, are important and what they should be. Uh, I, I ran a really successful uh, guarding program when I was in the paper business 
but this was a millions and millions of dollars worth of investment to the uh, to the business and we just couldn't take it on on all at the same time so i, I literally lessened the, the number of objectives that i had i lessened the financial dependencies that i had to the businesses and went about it slower but at a continual improvement rate that really showed a it really paid a lot of, of great dividend for us so that was one way that you could actually look how does that project fit and can you can you uh, go about doing it in a way that's acceptable or most acceptable to a uh, to your senior leadership team and, and Deborah mentioned this do you have an elevator speech can you tell me uh, what you want to do in 60 seconds with this particular project and if you can't maybe come back and, and write it down and, and say well what is the the least amount of information that I need to share to get to a decision point uh, that the senior leaders will understand. And then can I prove my ROI? And I'll, I'll talk maybe more about this later, but there's hard ROI, right? What's gonna be returned uh, in regard to finances uh, to the business, but there's also a lot of soft ROI that's just as important, but a little bit harder to prove. So how can I go about proving some of these things that I care about? Understand the level of resources required. It's not all people. There's going to be funding. There's going to be external uh, barriers to, uh, to that. So understanding that, deciding who's going to lead and provide oversight for the project. I, I've normally always looked for, for people that have a tremendous amount of success record, right, in leading projects. But I, I learned uh, over a period of time is that there's always those that are looking for growth. So do you have folks in your organization that uh, could be, you know, PM managers or project managers, but it could be a, a good growth opportunity for them and have ready project duration as well as proposed starting and completion times. And many times this is where I have failed. I didn't do enough good planning on start and end dates. And uh, certainly you lose favor with senior leaders when you don't complete things, uh, when you've said you're gonna complete those and it makes it harder to, uh, to, to do projects in the future. So making business cases, using scenarios, preparing for objectives, what are the, the, the questions you'll be asked and prepare answers for those. Knowing your audience, do you have an ambassador in that room? Do you have someone that has more value for safety and health or environmental programming on that team? And then being resilient, don't, don't come off just because you've, you've received no or a maybe to forget your project. Learn how to, to do it much, much better with the next uh, form of communication and being resilient. So it's important to you. There should be a, uh, a step toward being important for the entire organization. So Deborah, I'll let you take it from here. Sure. So we're moving on. Like, let's assume we've, we've got our project. We've got all the approvals. So the next stage is really more into, okay, let's implement these projects. And at this stage, it's really important again to understand that when you're doing when you're doing a project, you are implementing change. It's the very basic definition of what why you're doing this project. But in particular for safety, it's really important to see how it impacts the whole safety management system. And I think I am just going to let uh, Scott take this one before I come back to talk about actual tips to manage the project because by having this greater understanding of how you're going to impact change does really impact how you manage the project. Yeah, and, and, and certainly this is, is a, a slide that uh, normally I, I use right behind, uh, right, right behind the, the first slide that I, that I did, but I, I thought we would put it here, maybe just to talk about it uh, differently, is, is that often, you know, I am, I am asked, you know, how do you, you really start with it? Why do you start with these management systems? Do you have a management system? Is it working? Are there gaps that you don't recognize, as I shared earlier? In implementation, an important key is, is your management system dormant? You know, you've done this audit, you started looking at your management system. Is it just a bunch of rules and policies or programs laying about, you know, in your safety system or your EHS system? So specific to our discussion, how do you really leverage your, your safety management system or your EHS management system to move? 
I would say first look at data, you know, and this is a very short list on the right side of, of this slide is you've got all these sources of data. You have your incidents, you had these observations, whether that be behavior, right, or, or hazard or near miss observation. You have all of this information kind of laying out there. What does it tell you? Can you dissect that information to a degree to understand, you know, what my um, uh, top three things are that I really need to seek control in. Uh, illnesses, you know, I, I mentioned uh, loss run reports. I mentioned things such as workers' compensation, uh, occupational health. Am I losing people? Do we have lost time because of the work that they're doing? Claims, hazard analysis, uh, APIs and integrations, uh, you know, are you integrating already in, into an electronic platform? You know, so are you using technology, but do you have all of the point solutions that you need to really make it work? I think you, you really do need to kind of focus on tapping into your management system. And I've used this approach most of my career as I focus on really four things to leverage or to, to make this uh, safety management system move. Uh, management leadership and accountability. Uh, do we have the accountability that we have from the senior leaders in the organization? Are they promoting a culture of value? And it's really, really important because what I found over my career is that uh, I wish that I had made those, those circles, you know, weighted, right? So, but cause a lot of my time became management problems as I really had to invest a lot of my time in, in creating value and maintaining value at the management side of the business because they are, quote, the decision makers in, in much of the financial reward that we're trying to, uh, to accumulate for projects. Second thing is, is employee behaviors and engagement. And these are not in any certain order, but I'll just talk about them. Many of us talk about behavioral-based safety when we talk about these type of things, but it is really our continuous improvement process. It's how we mentor and coach for the behaviors that we really wanna see. It's how our middle management teams uh, affect or effect the way that our work teams work, you know, how they go about doing their daily tasks, a really important function in how people feel about what's going on in the organization. I, I'm a big advocate for training and education. Uh, I talk about that as a lever from the, the side of capability, how much we know. But the other side of that is, are you asking your work teams or your, your employee population to give it back? Are you allowing them to have capacity to, uh, to give back to the organization, which I think is really, really critical in project planning. And then of course, one that we, we often talk about, physical control of the work environment. That should be not only an audited feature of your management system, but a big part of many of these projects that you'll pick to do. So have we, you know, good physical control of the work environment? Have we done hazard identification, risk assessment? And have we looked at how we manage some of those things? Uh, in regard to, to levers, right? This is all the way that we feel about the work that we're, we're absolutely doing. So Deborah, I'll, I'll let you have it back. Thanks. And again, uh, these themes carry forward into a lot of the project management tips that we're gonna chat about. And the first and foremost is formalize the project and the team members. Uh, I cannot stress enough how many times my projects have uh, hit a road bump because people who I thought were on the team got pulled in other directions or their day jobs. Because let's face it, a lot of them feel like this is just something extra or over and above their day jobs. So for this formalized project team and the project and the team members, this really means making sure you've chatted with all of your project team members and that they have the bandwidth and that their managers know the commitment that's required. Uh, nothing is more frustrating uh, to your project management in that you can't get anything done because you're competing with somebody else's uh, limited attention. So this by far and away will help your, definitely your stress level during your project, but also just hitting all those completion and dates that you're gonna be have to do to satisfy your project deliverables. Again, secure visible leadership support. And the key word there is visible. If people think this is just under the radar or skunk works, guess what? It's not gonna be top priority for them. Uh, and you want to make sure that they know that this project is something that's really supported at the top level. So that way they will get on board quicker. They eventually will, if they, again, carrot or stick, they'll get on board. But if you can show that visible leadership, it's more likely to be there voluntarily versus otherwise. 
I'm a huge fan of conducting risk assessments. And I think I'm probably uh, speaking to the choir here because that's the nature of EASS. We, we deal with risk. Uh, but I really like having it more formalized. I have spreadsheets like you would not believe uh, that just list out all the different possible risks that can happen, both internal and external. Uh, that's the key point I would probably suggest with this a tip is that you do have to have those both perspectives. If you just focus in on what can happen in your organization, you could get blown away. Uh, COVID and the pandemic, for one, has shown that to be very true, that if you're not thinking or keeping that external monitoring going on, you could get caught off guard and your project could go off the rails. Uh, other key thing is prepare a thorough change impact analysis. Again, usually when you've done your gap analysis ahead of time, you know exactly what's going to happen, what you're going to affect, the positive changes, but there will be supplementary impacts that you may not have realized. And that's why I harpen back into that my point about involving stakeholders who may not be directly related, because all those indirect impacts may come back. Uh, to hurt your delivery of your project. So it's really important just to kind of think widely. I usually do this as a brainstorming exercise with my uh, project team. And I often will invite, invite my stakeholders or other um, external third uh, pairs of eyes just to kind of make sure we are thinking a little bit more widely so we will have better chances of success. And I do want to stress that marketing does not equal communication. This is probably the second most failure pitfall in uh, when, when you are project managing is a lot of folks assume that as long as you throw out, I'll push out all these communications, it's the same as marketing. It is not. Marketing usually is about selling your project, whereas communication is more about, okay, here's what you need to know to do something different. You need both. It's not one or the other situation. But really, if you do both well, especially in the marketing the marketing will hopefully bring it home to them. They'll understand the why more and it'll be more personalized. So you have to kind of think about that element in the project plans. And I've actually, when I've done some mentoring for other project managers, that's probably one area that they don't really flush out enough is the fact that you have to do the proper marketing and the communications just to make sure that those changes are going to stick and people understand the why. And this is the number one reason, the next point of why things may potentially fail is people don't do enough planning. Plan, 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 and, fail, and plan some more. Um, I love the quote that if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And that's so true. And again, this is not wasted effort. You may think that this is kind of overkill. In some regards, it may be. But the one good news is, especially in this function, is that you once you've done all this planning once, you can then reuse it, maybe your next project. So it is something that can carry on with a life of its own, but at least it shows that you're thinking about everything uh, and you're not, something won't have less chance to slip through the cracks. And the last point is when, again, she comes back to the ROI uh, to your project and getting a good track record. You have to be clear on project scope and objectives throughout the project. What often happens is scope creep. You start getting on, uh, the project and you discover, you know what, okay, um, we're very clear at the start, but like three months in, you know, we're gonna have to maybe do this to actually get it right. Well, that impacts all of your numbers and, and impacts your personnel potentially. There's a, unless you do an, a thorough impact of that scope change and do a proper change management, you could be out of luck uh, in terms of actually hitting the deliverables and the dates that you were had set out to be in your plan. The other thing I like to be clear about is Project scope can also decrease. And that sometimes is the Achilles heels to maybe having a successful track record. If you have gone on board and said at the very start and sold your project saying, we're gonna hit this ROI or do these improvements. If you, during the project that, you know, you've hit upon a roadmap and just a roadblock and you decide to maybe reduce your scope in order to get it done and you think it's good enough, that can be very, uh, problematic if you are then at the end of the project and people are coming back to your original goals and objectives and you're not hitting what you said you would. So again, everything you do in a project should be very purposeful. So scope can change, but just make sure you do it with open eyes and then obviously with the right support and communication to the impacted stakeholders. So that's kind of my uh, top seven tips for project management. Um, 
there again, my favorite tool, even though I use Microsoft Project a lot, is Excel. Uh, these assessments, and again, you can use systems for this, uh, auditing or whatever, but I find Excel is probably the most useful because everybody knows it. And when you're trying to do a wider scope of people to do these assessments, it's a tool everybody knows. So it's not just like a, it's a tool that they used in one department and not the other. Excel is universal. But this is, again, do some type of risk, risk description uh, and really get it from the probability aspects as well as impact. Change impact, again, I, that's one of my favorite ones. And I do it from the group level. Uh, so that way you can be a, a little bit more uh, objective and not get so lost in the weeds that you get overwhelmed and you it just falls flat. And then the stakeholder analysis, again, definitely the best way to start making sure the communications is flowing. And that way you also get the visibility and support you need. And by, I cannot stress enough, upfront analysis is worth every single second I spend on it. And there are multiple tools, but again, the tool doesn't matter so much as doing the process. If that's what really matters most is that you've got the systematic thinking about what could go wrong, who needs to be talked to, and what can I do to mitigate any risk. Uh, with that, we're now moving into sustaining projects. And again, I'm gonna turn the floor back over to Scott. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm just adding color commentary, right? So I'm that I'm that color person on the uh, on this webinar, right? So I I mean I think Deborah's done an excellent job in positioning you for great success. I, I look at it through the lens of maybe many of us on on the call today as EHS professionals or safety and health professionals. Uh, these are things that I've learned. You know, they certainly came uh, with a level of, of time, but a successful EHS project really promotes engagement and, and, and I'll just kind of just start there with the and. Uh, it positions safety and health as a chief value in the organization. And, and talking about that, make sure that you're seeing these values demonstrated from your leaders at all levels, in, in both word and deed, and that everyone is held accountable for doing the things that they are supposed to do. Easier said than done. Uh, but safety as a value is best used, best viewed as this operational fabric of the organization. It's not a separate function. It's not your function. It's integral to every business activity. And how I would close that thought out is it doesn't start when you need to have a project approved that this discussion starts, right? So you, this is, is pre-discussion. This is how you are leading the program. But a successful EHS project promotes engagement and it is a reflection of, of the chief value in the organization. Some of these projects are gonna be way outside of the bounds from a financial recourse side. Some of the ROI is hard to measure. So you're gonna to need to, I think, have uh, some of these things uh, such as values uh, established very, very early in your safety and health process. It moves, I think, from a rules and a simply compliance um, organization to a principled organization that's governed uh, with the right work and the robustness of a management system. So does your safety and health vision uh, really serve as this framework for your project roadmap? And does it guide every aspect of the business by describing what you need to accomplish in order to continue to have sustainable quality uh, compliant growth in the organization. So when I say go back to your management system and prove what your needs are, basically by looking at these gaps that you have, and that's a better story than simply showing uh, an ROI uh, from an OSHA uh, data source like um, you know TRI or, or the number of, of uh, losses that we've had in the organization. Supporting that, uh, I, I would say, you know, promoting shareholder partnership through increased process, per, uh, you know, participation, uh, seeking multiple perspectives, access your organization from top to bottom and then inside out, ask employees what motivates them, what inspires their commitment to safety. Is this project that I'm thinking of, does it align with what you expect? And I'll use an example. I, I used a guarding project that I did. It cost millions of dollars you know, for a paper company. And when I tried to sell that to employees, 
they thought I was slowing down their work. They thought that I was trying to hamper what they wanted to do in the organization. Uh, they, I was making it harder, right, for their daily tasks. But what I was really trying to do, I was trying to keep their hands out of moving equipment because I had had plenty of, of loss because people were trying to, to reach into operating equipment to pull things like jams and, and some of those things out. So I went to a, a redundant interlock system, cost a lot of money, right? But I knew that if we were going to implement that, that, um, that we would certainly, you know, limit loss to, to my employees. The benefit of it, however, was is once I uh, put that program in place, well, maintenance had to work on keeping the, uh, the machines running. Maintenance had to, to work on an asset effectiveness plan for preventive maintenance. So a lot of things started happening. We redesigned some of the equipment so it ran better. Uptime went up. Downtime, of course, uh, went down. And, and because of some of the project work that I was doing, we just started seeing improvements in, in quality and production and asset effectiveness. So seeking multi-prescriptive uh, or multiple uh, input is really, really important. Look for natural safety champions and assemble a vision team for the projects that you care about. It's critical to take time to build a team of dedicated colleagues. So I, I would tell you to do that. And then review your organization's safety goals. What does your senior management team expect you to do uh, before you actually go into this work? So without a clear understanding of what you're expected to do, it's fairly easy, right, to miss the targets. And then if they really do want you to be in a desired state, uh, this is how you're going to be able to get there through your through your uh, through your programs, so improving you know worker capability and capacity as I have have shared, and then that last point I think it it may be one of the more important things is that it, it allows hard and soft ROI to be experienced. How do I feel as an employee by this project? Did I participate in it? Did did the project manager and the team listen to my ideas? Did it actually improve my work? And then how I would end this is that perceptions, right? Whether we agree with them or not, they are real. So how people feel and accept change dictates how sustainable you are in, in leading your EHS projects. So it is really, really critical that they are part of not only your planning process, but your progress toward implementation of, of these projects that you care about. Deborah? Yeah, and with that, again, you with the successful project implementation, it really does take a life on its own, as Scott mentions, and you will get that ground up acceptance. So some other kind of sustainment tips here to keep that success going is that you always have to make sure you have that ongoing two-way communication. We know sometimes projects take a lot longer to implement or take hold. It could be anywhere between a couple of months to maybe a couple of years. So throughout that time frame, you have to make sure you're always checking in with the people being impacted by that change. And one in particular call that I like doing for two-way communication is you may have to make sure that you're not tone deaf. And that was another uh, lesson we learned through COVID and Black Lives Matters, what we've happened over the last couple of years is that your projects, while they the current ones you may have ongoing, if something happens externally and you've got to, you've got to adapt, you've got to make sure that you're nimble enough in your projects to maybe take into account how your communications are coming off and, and to pivot if you have to. But unless you have that two-way communication for that feedback loop, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to, to do that type of sustainment on that front. The other thing is ongoing training. Again, a lot of times what changes you're implementing, be it a new system or new change in uh, machinery, there's going to be ongoing training and a lot of times you need to have that refresher training or the why for your processes and it's always important to keep including the why and that really kind of speaks back to what I was saying earlier about making sure you're always constantly marketing why you're doing this not just the communication aspects and the third point I have there is leverage change ambassadors and I was very specific in my wording there everyone hears about change agents and change agents, they're great. They will basically be someone on point to get the job done, but it sometimes has the connotation that it's a once and done. Whereas a change ambassador is an ongoing change. This person's always gonna be there to be that cheerleader, to make sure everybody knows that this is the way to go. So it, I use that word to really signify that it's not a once and done thing. You do need these ambassadors to make sure that 
everyone's always thinking about uh, doing that change and accepting it. And again, you always have to be adaptable and, and agile to respond to whatever may come up to, uh, to your project um, deliverables. The last two points kind of speak to what uh, Scott was alluding to earlier about your track record and your ROI. Is when you're in the sustainment, it's so much easier to almost say, okay, I've checked the box, I'm good to go. But it's always great to keep coming back to it making sure you're also mark hitting those objectives for one thing, but then also marketing your results. Because when you are now going to try and do your next projects for next year, if you have a successful track record, you're more likely to have the confidence of your senior leadership to actually move forward and have that because you have that under your belt. So that is, those are two critical elements that you want to make sure you're continually hitting objectives. Because we always know, depending on the project, there'll be a, a little bit of a hiccup uh, usually around two to three months in, once people kind of are like, okay, I've done it. Now they slip back to back habits. So unless you're always focused on those objectives throughout, people could slide back into bad habits or old habits. Maybe they're not that bad. Uh, but it's also this marketing results that, again, that will help you not only for the success of your current project, but help you with the, your future track record. And that is kind of uh, just where I'm going to leave off in terms of recommended tools for that. Um, Communication tools are huge, especially for the two-way piece, keeping that up, uppermost in mind of everybody about why you're doing this change and having to be able to get them to comment on it or have that engagement with your communications. That'll be critical because, again, it's showing that people are paying attention to what you're seeing and hopefully that's just helping it stick in their minds. And again, to Scott's point, data, data, data and a management system is perfect for handling all that data. It also gives you a good way to keep a real pulse on what's going on in your organization. So all I would say is you are gonna really want to maybe adopt some type of te technology to help you on those two fronts because we live in a, a world of tons of data. So you have to have some means to make sure it doesn't overwhelm you and you can make sense of it. And most of all, you can then communicate it back not only to your leadership, but to your organization as whole um, about what success you have achieved and what safety record or safety metrics you've now improved upon. But with that said, I think we've come to the question and answer portion of our session today. Thank you. Thank you both. No, excellent and great job, Deborah and Scott. Uh, again, we thank you for sharing your insights and expertise. Before we do get going with the Q&A, just want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. We do appreciate your input. It's going to help us improve our future webcasts. Um, once more, if you do want to ask a question today, just click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button to submit. If we don't get to your question today, all unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers. So with that, we will get to some questions. Um, first. When you mentioned gap assessment, is there a specific audit tool that you would recommend? Uh, Scott, did you want to take this one or shall I? Like Sorry, I, I was talking and I'm and I'm on mute. Uh, I'll actually even come on on camera and answer this. I, I think there's a couple, you know, most of us, right, uh, probably are in the in the US, uh, but some of us have, have global operations. And, and I, I tell people this often, go back to your management system, right, and lay that out on your desk and, and build an audit tool from it. Uh, you've got a couple to pick from. I think ISO 45001 is an excellent global tool for you to look at. Uh, you can build question sets from that. There are certainly companies that have done that that can help with that. And then, of course, the, the new standard ANSI Z10 is an excellent uh, tool that not only gave you what that standard is, but it also gave you help. Right. So it almost became an auditing tool. So there are two things that I think would would really push your programs or your processes um, much further than maybe they are today. Plenty of hybrid you know, systems out there. Plenty are, are very specific to uh, to you know, vendors and, and, and some of those folks. But there are there are two that are very easy entry points in regard to. I think uh, you can buy an ISO standard for less than one hundred dollars. You can certainly buy ANSI Z10 for for around that that 
that price too. So you can get those in your hands and look at what your management systems should look like. And that, right, the inverse of that is being able to turn that into an audit system and auditing for the gaps. So I, I think it's fairly simple, uh, but they are written uh, in performance language. So ANSI Z10 certainly gave you a little bit more around that standard of what that should look like but both of them uh, in, in general are written as performance. So you got some wiggle room to, to do that specific to your industry or your organization, but it gives you a nice, nice path to, to do that audit. For hazard analysis, do you recommend using job hazard analysis forms? And if so, uh, what frequency would you recommend? I guess I can take that one as well. Uh, you know, it, it just depends, right? It depends on how good your hazard analysis form is. You know, a, a JHA could be very complex or it could be a couple of boxes, you know, on a page. I normally don't do that. So I would tell you that doing hazard analysis in all of the organizations that I've led, whether that at a site level or even when I was a corporate leader, is I try to drive risk understanding very deep in those organizations. So a lot of training, a lot of, of capability development at the front line. And, and I've started with a couple of things is that I've used the HSE risk matrix. I, I you know, you can buy or you don't have to buy them. You can Google that. If you were to Google five by five risk matrix, that would give you a, uh, a definition of what that is and how to use the tool. A very simple way of putting a quant quantitative uh, number on how serious this hazard is. And do I really need to, uh, to control that, right? And then what level of control you know, do I need? I, I would say this as a commercial, if you wanna link into me, I have some of this information, I'm glad to send it to you just to give you, um, you know, a little bit more information, but I'm Scott Gaddis at LinkedIn and, uh, and link in with me. I, I, I have a lot of content there and I'm glad to continue this conversation, but a couple of things, right? So you have a five by five risk matrix. Uh, there are some specific root cause analysis tool like the scat chart. Um, the Taproot is certainly as a partner of ours at Intellex that does this work on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a company called SoLogic, right? That's new, that's nimble, that's agile, that can, can start with this. And of course, 5Y and Fishbone. But you know, the, the big thing about all of these is they're very subjective to the experience and the capability of the person that's running them. So if you're if you're not you know able to answer the five why questions, right, you're not going to get very far. So I like to position uh, hazard identification and hazard uh, analysis through tools that allow you to get a little bit more quantitative in your approach without being so subjective. So glad to help you, you know, with that, but probably more than I'll be able to cover, you know, on this, on this webinar. Next one, how important is it to have data and is technology the only way to assemble or access the data? Deborah, you want me to take that or should you, you lead? Um, I would say data is always important. And again, I think, <laughs> Hmm. I've got two answers to this, but I'll go with the one I, <laughs> I, would, I would love to say. To me, it's, it's whatever, it's the insights you're going to get from the data. So whatever tool you use to get those insights matters the most. But I think you have to get that data and, and find out what it's telling you. I've seen too many uh, scenarios where people across, like in this profession and or the other industries I've worked in, where they just they get so overwhelmed and on a data point that you've got to almost step back and see what else is going on with your data because you could just be, you could be too close to it. But with any type of tool, and this is one benefit of having technology with involved is a lot of times they will have standard reports there that will help you maybe get that objective look at that. So Scott, if you want to maybe add to that, if you want. No, I, I think I agree with that. I, I No, you don't have to have technology, but one of the things that we've learned and, and, you know, when I started 30 years ago, I was running DOS-based programs and I had very uh, fundamental programs like Excel and, and Word and those things. So I had paper laying everywhere. Right. And then my job at the end of the day was trying to accumulate all this stuff and make decisions. And it made me slower. 
right? And I didn't, I was not able to react soon enough before I had experienced some type of fracture in the management system at times. It only became a bigger problem when I took over, you know, a business team and then a corporate team. I, I Then I hired business analysts, right, to settle my team to go through all of this information. But I was still 15 or 20 days outside of that decision on some things. I was still paying resources. I had additional FTEs. So certainly one of the reasons that I joined Intellects is because I'm a practitioner that suffered through these things. And what I do for intellects is actually counsel, coach, mentor on how how information can be improved through technology to get it to you so you can make a faster decision that's more nimble, that's more agile, and it's connected. You know, one of the things that we suffered with is that uh, things like SIFs, right, that they, they kind of pass through our program because we did not identify them. There's all types of those things in our management systems that we don't see it because they're siloed. So I, I think, you know, using technology to help us be more prescriptive, to help us make better decisions is where I certainly see the, the greatest impact today. Maybe one day it will make it for us, but today, uh, you know, we're still needed. Right. And we still need to, to have information in front of us to uh, to make better decisions. Yeah. Totally agree with that. I think the last point on the subject there, because, <clears throat> again, um, I've had a long career and I've been there where you've got to hobble all this data together manually. The other big thing is this technology can also make the efficiency of doing that collection and that. Um, yeah that analysis easier because a lot of times uh, I look at now some of the project reporting I used to do, it would take me a good week to maybe pull together what now some reporting tools can pull together in like uh, three clicks. So it's the, you can't, you can't uh, downgrade or put aside the efficiency benefits of technology will help you. Next question, we've got a couple attendees expressing that they're having issues getting senior leaders on board with projects. And in particular, there's an EHS manager of a sawmill and lumber company who says that he's usually met with, well, we've been doing it this way forever and and haven't had any problems. Uh, To that end, just what ideas might you have for folks to improve or just to ways that they can show that the improvement of the safety culture is going to be beneficial to production and to the, the organization at large? Yeah, I, I can start there. I mean, it, it's it's really what I've talked about, you know, for for the entire webinar is that I, I would start with gap and assessing, you know, the the management system where we haven't lost, uh, being able to compile that information, you know, what is our medical cost run? I mean, if you if you have a, a threshold uh, financial loss in, in the business. You know, that's anywhere from zero to millions of dollars, and you don't need many of those, right? So just because uh, management does not see the problem, it may just simply be because they have not identified the problem, right? So starting with the management system, doing a gap analysis, and then on these things that you care about, that you want to have a project uh, around, you know, do things like a risk matrix. What are the root causes of these things happening? Can I score it, right? Is this a tolerable risk or is it not? You know, those are two different areas. But if you can quantify them, uh, certainly that gives them more information to make decision points. Uh, Outside of that, right, you've got compliance standards that you absolutely have to meet. Uh, You have industry standards. So what is uh, a subjective to the industry that I'm in. If you're in the sawmill and lumber industry, do you have best-in-class performers that have have done things differently than you are, and why? And I'm going to say that it's probably predictable. It's because they've had loss. So simply because you've not had loss does not mean that there's not been catastrophic loss at a competitor's sawmill or lumber yard. So I would look at that information. I've proved a lot of ROI on on our competitors when I was running paper or or in pharmaceuticals. Uh, And then, of course, I I think is risk assessment to me is the best way to go into a, uh, a senior management team is you have proof. And, and how you prove ROI, if you can prove the level of loss that, that you'll have in the organization. I think, uh, and again, that's what I'll just add to that because I wholeheartedly agree with what Scott says. You've got to basically make them aware of what the problem is. And so that's one way to tackle it. The other thing you can take about is that they just don't want change and it's not their problem as they may say. What you can take is that like, well, okay, you don't want to focus on the problem, but maybe do you want to get more positive or more sales? 
So you go from the whole business improvement angle of it. And so instead of saying, you know, um, improving just to prevent the risk and that we have a worker injury risk, say it's like if you had that extra worker for uh, an extra 40 hours a week, let's say, yep. uh, you're going to get 10 more sales. I can tell you every single leader <laughs> leadership I've ever met wants more sales or wants more business results. So if you flip the coin instead of trying to educate them on mitigating the problem, but flip it to say, hey, here's how we can actually improve the business and get more out of this, the profitability angle of it, you might get more attention. Because right now, if they're only thinking about minimizing problems, they're not in the right mindset. So change the mindset to be more about business improvement. Well, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we're really running up against time on today's presentation, but truly enjoyed it and got a, getting a lot of a good feedback. So uh, we thank you both. Um, once again, though, we, we hope that our attendees and you take the time today to fill out that forthcoming evaluation survey to give us your feedback. Again, that'll be coming in a post-event email. Um, with that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Deb Keeler, Scott Gaddis, everyone at Intellects, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day.